Welcome to Terragrams. Hi, I'm Craig Verzone, and I'll be your host for the 21st delivery of Terragrams. In this dispatch, we are joined by Ken Smith. Ken is a registered landscape architect and founder of the Ken Smith Workshop in Manhattan, as well as Irvine, California. He graduated from Iowa State University and the Harvard Graduate School of Design and practiced with the office of Peter Walker and then in collaboration with Martha Schwartz and David Meyer. Since 1992, though, he's been piloting his own studio while also teaching at Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, the University of Virginia, and the City College of New York. His professional work encompasses a broad array of scales and project typologies, and in his own words, explores the symbolic content and expressive power of landscape as an art form. He's well known for his camouflage roof garden for the Museum of Modern Art in Manhattan, and his current work for the Orange County Great Park in Irvine, California. Terrograms is happy to welcome Ken Smith. Ken, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and welcome to Terrograms. Thank you. I'd like to start by asking you about your most, well, uh, your competition win of 2006 for the Orange County Great Park. Could you describe to us what the primary components of the park are and what stage you are in the process of uh, construction or conceptualization of, of the project? Okay. Well, the, the, you know, the project is a kind of David versus Goliath <laughs> project, and nobody ever expected that my team would win. Are you guys David or Goliath? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're definitely David <laughs> because we were competing against much better established firms, bigger firms. And, um, but, but we were also, I think, hungrier and really focused on the project in a way that we understood it perhaps differently. And, mm -hmm. and that was, I think, instrumental. Also, I think uh, our project, our proposal was uh, more risk-taking. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the, the notion of digging a canyon was, you know, probably a stupid idea, but, but it really worked, you know, mm. and, and, and it was, I remember thinking about the risk involved in that and saying, well, yes, yeah, I have to do this, you know, mm. because, it, it, you know, it's the kind of thing within the body of the theory of the practice of landscape architecture in the United States to create a, a false ecology of that scale is something that nobody would do. Mm -hmm. uh, but it did make sense, and it did resonate, and, and, uh, and it was successful. Uh, but the project, we uh, won the project in January of 06, after a protracted selection process. How many, was it an invited competition? Or was it, was it, a, it was an invited competition, um, and um, there was uh, 40 uh, primarily landscape firms invited, and... Uh, so a big invite. It was a big invite. Uh, it was pretty heavily based on uh, the Groundswell exhibit. Mm -hmm. And uh, our submission, I think, was pretty good. It was, it, I mean, we worked hard on it, and, uh, and uh, so we got shortlisted, one of uh, seven or eight, I don't recall mm -hmm. now. Nobody, nobody thought that we had a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember, uh, and you'll edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember we went to the we went to the uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, overview, 
And, and George Hargraves, you know, said, so, Ken, what are you going to do, plastic rocks? <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so you don't think that they took you seriously? Oh, I, I, I think the client... Uh, no, but everyone else who ruled you out. No, I don't. No, I don't yeah. think they did. I, no, uh-huh. they, I don't think they thought I had a you know chance in hell. There's not enough fun in 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 a hundred and or a hundred and thirty thousand hectare uh, acres. Right. But the um, but the but the proposal was uh, perhaps the one that was most different from all the others, and the the presentation and the uh, strategy of the presentation was fundamentally different than all mm-hmm. the others. Uh, in this conference that we've been involved today, uh, when Gary Hildebrand is talking about uh, the, the presentation for Down's view and how it influenced um, uh, the, 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 the uh, Staten Island uh, landfill project, mm-hmm. I remember paying attention to those competitions. And, and, uh, and for the, the landfill, I was uh, at a municipal art society uh, panel debate, and I was, uh, I was um, introducing uh, Mark Rios's team, and, I, and mm-hmm. I had to, you know, kind of understand his team and, and look at the other projects and stuff. And it was interesting seeing how they put their ideas forth and what worked. Mm-hmm. And and so I was paying a lot of attention to the the mechanics of how you present the idea and what works. And the other thing that I realized in reading the brief, looking at who the jury was, was that the uh, professional jury was uh, not going to make the final decision. They were making mm-hmm. uh, an evaluation, not even a recommendation. They were making an evaluation. And in fact, it was the, uh, the board uh, of politicians and, mm-hmm. and elected, uh, appointed people who made the final decision. Mm-hmm. So it was very clear to me that this competition was going to be de- decided in the realm of public opinion. And, 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 and in the end... For the people, by the people. Yes, but in the end, our our proposal got the highest marks among the professional jury. <laughs> uh, but it it really did appeal to people. So much for it, yeah, rational. So, so much of that, but it did did appeal to people. Mm-hmm. And and there were a couple things that were done in a in a pushing of the rules. The rules called for a a, a plan at one inch equals fifty feet. Mm. Uh, which is enormously which is, big. No, no, it's enormously small. Uh, small. No, no, actually, no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. It was one inch equals 200. Or uh, one, right. one, one inch equals 500. Right. One inch equals Not 500. Much detail. It, was, it was basically a diagram right. at, at this scale, you know, kind of reduced it down to, you know, 20 by 30 or something. And I, and I always worked big. I like working big probably because I have bad eyesight. I always blow everything <laughs> big because also, Blowing stuff up big forces you to deal with the, the mm-hmm. detail and it actually mm-hmm. poses questions and makes mm-hmm. you solve stuff. That, mm-hmm. And I suppose that could be argued as good or bad, but right. it's, it's sort, of, what it's stage sort of the way I do it. And, and so uh, <clears throat> uh, there was a uh, one inch to 500 diagram, but I took the four panels and I arrayed them as one very large plan at one inch equals 100. So, uh, and of course it was quite detailed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see every parking stall. You could right. see individual trees. You could stand up to it if you were, you know, somebody who was interested like from the public and you could imagine yourself in this park. Right. And nobody else's scheme 
had that. Everybody else had the Photoshop images, right. but but those are also kind of generic at this point. You know, you stand and you see the same soccer team that somebody you know cribbed off so of, stuck on a grass field with some trees in the background, and, you know, and it's like okay, you know. <laughs> but we went in with this big plan, and uh, with a with a great deal of detail. And and I noticed the big plan is still the big plan is still a big thing. For, yeah, it's still a big thing. <laughs> and then um, the other thing was that uh, I. I, I knew everybody was going to do Photoshop images, and I'm very good at Photoshop, but I, I was trying to figure out how to distinguish the project, and uh, um, I hired a, a comic book artist, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Japanese ma- ma- manga uh, uh, comic book artist. Uh, from New York? From New York, mm-hmm. a kid who just came out of the uh, School of Visual Arts and was a you know comic book artist mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, you know, and... Mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and she, you know, we uh, took a, basically took did a did a manual Photoshop or took the, the source stuff and scotch taped it together and said this is kind of the the view, and then she took it and then made a a, a cartoon out of it, Car- right. a, you know, comic book image, and then uh, scripted a, a, a narrative which uh, was also discussed at the conference today, how narratives rule. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, constructed a narrative of a day in the park so that basically it would personalize it with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, the, the cartoons people loved because they hadn't seen it before. And, right. and, uh, and you know, we just you know, had great legs. And then, uh, but, but still we proved ourselves that, that we could do the project mm-hmm. and, and got the project. So that that's you know three years ago now. And tell me, would you say we? Who else was on? Well, the core team? the core team was um, uh, Enrique Norton and Mary Miss and Stephen Handel and Bureau Happold uh, for sustainability engineering and Mia Lair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the the, the initial initial group. And uh, Enrique Norton is <clears throat> very busy, uh, and so mm-hmm. Enrique was. Playing the role of critic during mm-hmm. the the jury, which was actually during the, the actually playing the competition, and that was actually pretty interesting because when you're doing the competition, you're so close to it that you have no critical right. distance. And uh, I, I remember Enrique came in. Uh, he, he came in and he, he had a couple really brilliant ideas. Uh, he had a brilliant idea for the architecture. Uh, uh, once the, the canyon had emerged, he came mm-hmm. in and uh, he. He, he said the canyon, he looked at it and he said, that's a very good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and the other thing I remember... And I'm, did he slip in the... the... Then he, he cut in the buildings. Yeah. He, he, he said, he said, he said uh, the, the buildings should be cut into the landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that, was, that was a very powerful idea. And I remember he, he, I, I was kind of going through what we are working on and I had you know, mock-ups of the presentation boards and stuff around and and he he was looking at it and he said, "You know, Ken, I think you could win this." <laughs> and <laughs> and I remember thinking that you know, well, I'm the David, you know, and, and up against all these big firms, and you know, I'm not going to win this, but I'm going to you know go Just for show, it. Show I'm going to I'm going to you know play with the the big ones, and and it was like the first time I kind of went, "Wow, you know, maybe we could win this." <laughs> uh-huh. And so, so today we're we've we've done a, a, a 
we had a, a small contract for critical issues to kind of get some very short-term things squared away, some infrastructure and boundary issues that, that were very critical that, because uh, the, in the competition, you know, certain things don't line up. There's certain critical things that mm -hmm. really have to get put in place or it doesn't work. And so we did that in the first three months, and then we did master plan that took, um, you know, about a year. And right now we're uh, at uh, uh, we're, we're working on ninety seven percent schematic design documents. Wow. So we're we're pretty far along. And of course, concurrent with all of that, uh, we've been building the preview part. So we've been doing. So your CD, you've already done a set of CDs. For oh, we've the done two sets of CDs. Part. We did right. we did. Uh, set of CDs for the initial part of the preview park, which was two summers ago, which was when the balloon went in, the berm, and the, the basic infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And then for last summer, we did a, a second set of improvements. And right now, we're working on uh, construction documents for the third set of uh, improvements to the preview park. Mm -hmm. and, and, and actually, it's interesting because <clears throat> it's not the way you would normally do a project. You would, you know, you, you, the normal top-down project is you would design the whole thing mm -hmm. and you would execute it in a very mm -hmm. kind of rational, mm -hmm. you know, big scale way. But or at least it bite off pieces, but you design Yeah, but you design the whole and, piece. Right. And, and this isn't working that way. Um, and and I, I think it's interesting because it's basically using the, the preview park to create a constituency that mm -hmm. will support the park to actually then enable the park to be right. built. Um, you also get to test some ideas. And we get no? to test the ideas, prototype things. And so while we're doing schematic design, we're actually building pieces of it. So we've actually mm -hmm. are actually building uh, benches that we are proposing mm -hmm. for permanent uh, design standards. Or so you do CDs after you get the prototype. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, we're, we're advancing that little piece and we're designing right. that little piece, and it's you know happening. This and right now we're designing the uh, the shade ramadas mm -hmm. that are a permanent design feature, but they're mm -hmm. going to get installed next summer mm -hmm. and so we're we're actually and then we're we're actually it's helping refine the design vocabulary a kind of emphasis on wood which uh, is problematic and troublesome to public officials mm -hmm. and gravel which is also problematic and difficult for the public mm -hmm. officials uh, but we're we're able to do these things in the preview park because everybody understands it's a prototype and mm -hmm. it's a preview park and we understand that just because we build it in the preview park doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to get right. approval to do it and it's part of the large right. project of course we all hope we will right. uh, and, and, and and there are some things we'll probably learn where we'll decide well right. actually that wasn't a good idea and we won't do that you know and how long has the preview park been open to the public year and a half this, this is the second full summer mm -hmm. and this is the first summer that had active programming. The first summer, I mean, we just barely got the balloon operational. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's very seat of the pants, <laughs> uh, yeah, which is <laughs> the scale of the project kind of amazing. But uh, this summer, uh, the first summer went in, and the budget was very tight, and, and I did things in a very Im improvised manner with the scaffolding and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, people loved the balloon, but they didn't like the creature comfort, and they didn't they didn't. They didn't like the sort of the you know the 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 the, 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 the kind of the detail of the stuff. And mm -hmm. so, so the second part of the preview park, you know, has allowed us to actually then get another level of detailing up mm -hmm. and introduce things like the uh, 
lily pad picnic pods uh, <laughs> with per- pervious paving and uh, these little wood boardwalk bridges mm-hmm. and uh, and a bioswale, mm-hmm. uh, which was enormously difficult to pull off. You have no idea how hard it is to do a bioswale. You know? <laughs> what, were, what were the complications? Uh, there are uh, legal and code impediments to uh, bad drainage. Uh, you know, ba- basically all the all the codes and all everything about water uh, is is legislated to move it as quickly as get, possible get and it getting it out of the way, and and to to try to slow it dra- down and to get it to percolate is hugely difficult because mm-hmm. you're you're challenging a whole set of of legal structures, mm-hmm. and and in the end of the day, I had to put a drain at the bottom of my bioswale. How high could you set the drain above the? It's bios- not set. It's set at the bottom of the bioswale. So you make enough bioswale so that the hopes. That well, I'm hoping. I'm hoping out. that eventually <laughs> it will clog up. <laughs> Is it a single drain? It's a single yeah, drain. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it was very frustrating. But you know, I had a choice. I could accept a drain at the bottom of my bioswale, which made absolutely no sense, right. or I could give up the bioswale. Right. And how effective do you, th- do you think the bioswale is with the drain sitting down there? It's partially effective, actually, because it's, it's soil. It's got enough length on mm-hmm. it that the water has to move four or five. It has to move a quarter mile before right. it ever gets to the drain. Mm-hmm. And, and so there, and, and then with the, the thickened vegetation that we've planted, mm-hmm. I mean, we will get some infiltration, right. but it, it won't actually uh, detain anything for mm-hmm. any period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we're working through the design guidelines for the f- first phase of kind of real construction and we're working through a process with the city to get uh, alternate design standards established because right now uh, the situation we have is that we are governed by the uh, city of Irvine and the city of Irvine has defined standards for everything mm-hmm. and you take uh, a site plan in and they have a checklist and if you don't comply with all the given standards you don't get approval mm-hmm. and so we're going through a process of creating uh, alternate design standards, which... Uh, so do you have to rezone the site? No. Or can you put an overlay? Uh, there'll be an overlay. And, and actually, the, the, city's, the city is very good. They, they know what we're doing. They know why we're doing it. They understand mm-hmm. why, although it's not easy because mm-hmm. we're challenging a lot of right. stuff that they've done for a long because time. Because I know there are going to be three or four projects right behind Well, this is, this is these are the permit. I mean, you know, the, 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 the argument is that uh, it, it, we have 50 miles of trails that's enough trails that you know if we want to do some kind of special header or special paving there's an economy of scale which makes it viable right. we, we're going to be installing enough benches that we certainly can design uh, a, a bench that's particular to this park mm-hmm. and we have enough light fixtures enough tra- enough of all that stuff because the regulations dictate the typology the type of bench and light fixture oh yeah so you can't like come in with something that's uh-uh. not on their list no huh. No, 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 no. And you're interested in, in working on those. those <laughs> yeah, so, so, we're, so we're right now, we're going through the process of uh, developing the alternate. And they have to be approved by uh, several city commissions and the so city council. And so well, <coughs> the first part is to do conceptual drawings. And the conceptual drawings are very detailed. Like you know, on the light poles, we actually have to prove that the footings are sufficient mm. and we have to prove and you have to, you know, they want life cycle costs on the... So the conceptual uh, drawings are pretty 
the, the conceptual drawings are basically design development <laughs> documents, right. and so they're very detailed. And it's a, a very long haul, but it's crucially important because otherwise it will be a normative right. part. And I think we'll prevail on most of it. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we, we won't get everything. You have a pretty special topographic plan, strategy. And there's one point in your project where you have these parallel canyons or earth berms mm -hmm. and you cut them to create a window into the, the big landscape mm -hmm. beyond. And there's another place where you have the, the where the balloon takes off this mm -hmm. circular uh, like donut right topographic donut what it makes me think of is the, the project in aspen at the aspen institute and also that in a way the double negative i was thinking michael heiser i mean that uh, the, the, the the picture windows are a right. complete michael heiser kind right. of and, well what what's <clears throat> and you have a a real rich connection to the history of contemporary art and art as it exited the gallery into the landscape. Yeah. What, how, do you, how do you relate your project relative to some of those original icons that we're still referring back to? Well, now? I mean, there, there is a certain kind of appropriation of mm. that stuff, but there's also a kind of rootedness to Lenote, you know, and, and, and kind of an understanding of, of uh, eye levels and perspective, like the, uh, the, 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 the berm around the balloon is set at 12 feet, which is the, basically the height of the gondola. Mm -hmm. And so from the outside, you don't see the gondola. You only see the balloon rising above this thing. Mm -hmm. And when you get in the gondola to go up, you can't see the landscape beyond because the, the berm is a, above right. your eye horizon. And, and as the balloon goes up, there's a moment when you break above the berm when the entire landscape opens up mm -hmm. and it's quite remarkable and I mean you're, you've already detached from the yeah you're, you're zero. oh yeah 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 you're you're up in the air you and 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 the whole thing opens up there so there's a moment of surprise mm -hmm. that's all based on a kind of understanding of, of of sight lines which which is a you know a very old thing you know to, mm -hmm. to construct big sections of sight lines and kind of understand the cones of visions and things and of course the uh, those those picture window cuts are also a kind of cone of vision and mm -hmm. there's they occur at strategic points along the preservation of the uh, existing runway mm -hmm. they, they kind of frame a terminus point or, or some moment mm -hmm. and and they have a, a 60 degree cone of vision and you know they're, they're they're set up optically to to work in a certain way to help you understand a connection with something mm -hmm. beyond and do you think this these types of manipulations with these big land movements help to bring your park to one of its original narratives about making a park for the people, setting up these situations where an individual can get a greater understanding to its bigger context. I think so. I mean, I, I, I don't want to over-prescribe uh, that. I mean, I, the, the worst thing in the world would be to do something where you, it's so didactic that, you know, people say, well, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm, lear I'm learning this, I'm going to take it home and do that, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, you, you want to set it up so people discover things. And, mm -hmm. and, in fact, much of the park is set up in a way that that things don't connect exactly and, and something takes you somewhere and, and you end up going to something you didn't expect to, mm -hmm. the, the kind of the surprises. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the earthwork, you know, the site was so flat and mm -hmm. so barren 
to introduce the kind of large-scale earthwork really works. And there were, there were these bunkers on site, uh, mm-hmm. the munition bunkers. Mm-hmm. And, and the munition bunkers were, the big ones were of the height scale of our berms, <clears throat> about 30 feet. And, and, and uh, there was something very beautiful about them. They were quite architectonic. But there was something very beautiful about them in, when you looked at them and you saw them in relation with the foothills and the mountains beyond, there was a, a very kind of beautiful scaling up to that distant landscape. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of understood that that scale was correct, that there was mm-hmm. something about the 30-foot datum that made sense. And, and I guess the proof will be in when, when it's done, but mm-hmm. I, I do think it will work. And I spent time looking at other earthworks. I, I spent time going to uh, areas around Southern California, looking at road cuts and things mm-hmm. that were of similar scale to under, start to understand what that datum meant and mm-hmm. sort of how it felt. And, and uh, so I, I, think, I think in the end, the, the scale is, is correct, although it's, pro, it's, it's not as big as a, a natural feature right. uh, because it, it's just not as big as a natural mm-hmm. feature. It, it couldn't be. But I, I think relative to the scale of the park, it's, 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 it's the good scale. It's the right scale. Now, you've argued this before, but for our listeners, could you argue it again? How do you, how do you justify, because we need to justify <clears throat> big um, moves like this, how do you justify the moving of such an enormous amount of earth for just a public park? Yes. Uh, well, um, I was worried about that, and, and there, there are a couple justifications. There's, there's a kind of uh, a real justification and there's a kind of technical justification. The, the technical justification is is actually relatively easy, and, and that is that what we're doing is kind of in the scale of of earthworks that happen in terms of roadway infrastructure and even golf courses, just in terms of cubic yardage when they yeah. build these big stupid golf courses. I mean, they move. I mean, they, they move huge amounts of earth, and and so. The, the, the scale of the earthwork is actually not problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that could be answered. But the, the other question is sort of the, the why why was kind of more fundamentally based in the experience of going to the site and spending time in, in, in the heat of the summer and, and just baking. And, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of the, the, the it was brutal. I mean, the right. site is... It's, it's, it's really a miserable, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. The beauty of it is incredible, but it's just, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 the canyon, uh, and, and what, what did this for me was uh, the, the day before the competition briefing, I went to Balboa Park in San Diego, mm-hmm. which I had never been to. And of course, I, I knew about. And I was wandering around Balboa Park, and I stumbled into this little up, uh, Palm Canyon there, mm-hmm. and uh, it was not very big, uh, but it was filled with palms, and it was, it was a hot day, and, and, and I started down the stairs, and you, you could feel the temperature change, mm-hmm. and it was, it, you know, it, was, it made quite an impact on me, because mm-hmm. it was very palpable, and, and, and then there was a point in the design process uh, when we were working through the stream corridors on the site, uh, and I was having a discussion with Stephen Handel, the ecologist, and Stephen was talking about the, the need to have um, redundancy in, in the ecosystem. 
and, and needing to connect things together so that there was multiplicity. And he was saying, well, you really need to connect this corridor to that corridor. <laughs> and there was a kind of moment when uh, this canyon <laughs> just, it just you know, kind of came out, mm -hmm. that that was the solution. And sort of the, the, the memory of going into this thing, it just, mm -hmm. it, it just happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. Then there were a series of sections down and things, but but it it is it is a uh, this notion of kind of this large scale microclimate that's that's big enough that when it's planted and shaped, it will create a a large area that is substantially climatically different. That How long is the area you're talking? It's about, about two miles, hmm. and it's, it's, uh, it's yeah. and it's you know it's you know it's uh, I don't know. 200 feet wide right. and you know it's, it's 70 feet of elevation and and it will fundamentally change that part of the park so it will be comfortable it'll be cool it'll be shady and it will be a respite it will be a place that you can go and, and get away mm -hmm. you're listening to terrorgrams and our guest is ken smith ken is a registered landscape architect the founder of the ken smith workshop and the designer of the Camouflage Roof Garden on the Museum of Modern Art in Manhattan. While we're on the topic of scales of operation, the scale of this operation has, I believe, has led you to open an office on the West Coast as well as on the East Coast. Yeah, well, I actually, I was, I was forced to <laughs> open an office. I didn't want to. Uh, I never wanted to have more than one office. I would love to have run the project from New York, but it, it wasn't possible the client wouldn't allow it and and so I, I opened an office from scratch which was hugely difficult I didn't bring any staff out from New York mm -hmm. we created a, a completely Californian office mm -hmm. with Californians you know we mm -hmm. hired from how scratch. many do you have oh right now there's I, I, I think I think we're close to 12 uh, for my staff and Mia Lehrer has mm -hmm. uh, Four or so, and then there's you know 30 engineers, and there's you know 20 project managers, and there's a, uh, an ecologist, and you know some planners, and so uh, the, the design studio is a, is a uh, an agglomeration is maybe um, 60 people. So wow. you know it's a kind of a medium-sized firm. And this is on the west coast. Is your team on the east coast? Do they work on other projects? Yeah, the New York office has projects that are completely separate. Uh, mm -hmm. New York is really specialized in a kind of medium-scale project, and the West Coast is a single-purpose office. Do any of them long to go west? No, I don't no. think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. No, there might be some people in the West who would like to come east, but, uh, but no. And tell us how your, the, your New York office operates and a little bit of what you're working on now. Well, New York has... Um, very little hierarchy because uh, the office has never really had a lot of hierarchy. I, I, I work on every project uh, uh, because it's my office. <laughs> and, um, and that's and what you like to do. That's what I like to do. And, and, um, and um, most of the staff are project managers in New York. Uh, more than half of the staff are project managers. And so uh, each project manager will be managing one or two projects. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they attend the regular meetings and keep up with the routine correspondence and kind of you know keep things moving forward. And then there's a, a, a smaller pool of uh, uh, people with less experience who kind of float 
around and do production work, you know, on um, projects. Uh, but we're uh, working on um, two projects in India, mm -hmm. uh, which are very interesting. Uh, one is uh, uh, a, an office building, uh, and I'm doing the uh, podium landscape. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this is with Harry Cobb. It's it's quite a quite a beautiful building. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we're also uh, working on the design of a 400-acre township, which is being designed for uh, up to 80,000 people. Wow. And so... Uh, in India. In India, in Hyderabad. And so we were involved... With in, the same team? Same team, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's with uh, Pei Cobfried mm -hmm. and uh, Bureau Happold. And um, uh, so the first... The, the first phase, we, we worked on the master plan, uh, which is basically the, the, the uh, allotment of the, the sites and uh, an organization of the streets and the drainage ways and the, the central parkway and the, kind of a waterfront on a dry lake. And, and now we've done um, uh, 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 design guideline documents on the streetscapes and uh, we're halfway through schematic design on the green fingers, which are the drainage ways, but they're, they're drainage ways plus social space. Mm -hmm. they're, they're occupiable drainage ways. And uh, what's the density of the of the houses? Oh, it's hugely dense. The um, the low buildings are uh, four and five stories, and and the and the and the housing uh, towers are twenty stories. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's 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 an immensely dense development. And most of the housing blocks are of a scale that they have interior uh, court because it, the the architecture is all about. Um, uh, a kind of uh, porosity in terms of movement of air and also provision of shade. Mm -hmm. And the and the Indian typical Indian residence has a certain uh, outdoor aspect. Uh, and there's also the ex extended family, so that the housing units are actually quite large and mm -hmm. complicated. And there, there's certain mm -hmm. uh, uh, certain kind of, you know cultural requirements in terms of you know how things fit together. And mm -hmm. so you know it's it's a very interesting project. And then we have corporate work. Wait, before you jump yeah. onto the corporate work, um, in a project like this, how, uh, I assume that you were asked to participate at the beginning of the design yes. phase. Yeah. How did the general site plan evolve from the through the kernel of the layout of the densities and where the center was and where these green fingers were going to get placed? What was your role in that well, whole we, process? Well, we all uh, went to <clears throat> India. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, Actually, I, I, I went to, uh, I went to, my first trip to India, I went for two days to see uh, the first site, the office block site, and while I was there, I went to see this other site, the, the 400 acre site, and then uh, when that project became real, we act, there was actually not any design work done in advance, uh, there was a certain amount of base map preparation mm -hmm. and stuff, but uh, we all went to India. Uh, uh, all the consult the whole team, and uh, uh, Doshi uh, is uh, the, uh, the associate architect. <laughs> you know, the famous Doshi is working on the project, which is really, <laughs> really quite amazing. And so, uh, the the initial the initial um, so we've spent first day on site, and, and the first evening at dinner, uh, uh, Doshi and Harry Cobb had this kind of big debate and and there was a there was a napkin sketch <laughs> that came out of that 
uh, which a uh, true napkin sketch. A true napkin, a cloth napkin. Was it like a four inch by four? No, inch no, cloth napkin, ah. dinner napkin. On on cloth. On cloth, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a real cloth napkin sketch that they came out of it, which uh, <laughs> because there were there was a there was a very difficult site in terms of the uh, the access perimeters and the dry lake, and there were a series of in holding of properties that were not part of the project, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, Harry and Doshi. Uh, uh, set forth this kind of arc that negotiated its way between these outlier properties, and that became the kind of central core. That that evening, the next morning, we met, and I did a series of sketches following the arc, where I I suggested a a, a central spine, where instead of a single line, single street, there were two streets, mm-hmm. and, a, and a big space in between that was a central a green area. And and because of the topography, I suggested a series of green fingers that, mm-hmm. that then tied the thing together, and mm-hmm. and that was quickly adopted into the scheme, and then and then a new napkin was laid up. Well, no, 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 now we're working on tracing paper, and then pretty quickly went into the computers <laughs> and things. But and then and then there was a and then there was a a, a period of several weeks where we were blocks and you know every looking at setbacks and all the tech uh, and you know a lot of work kind of working through that right. stuff and then the next two meetings were held in London because it was halfway between you know India and New York and it was easier for everyone and uh, and then the, uh, the the project actually the first meeting in London was um, was interesting because there was a there was a, a kind of phys- philosophical debate between um, New York and India about the character of the open space. Doshi felt that the central spine should really be like the the, the Charminar or, or, or a kind of souk, a kind of marketplace. Mm-hmm. And the New York team felt that the the central spine really should be more green and leisure. Mm-hmm. And and there was a huge debate. In the end, our you know our our client is an American company, and and the the project is for the emerging middle class in India and there's a great mm. marketing appeal of uh, American mm-hmm. type projects. So so in the end the central green space prevailed. Uh, uh, we've had huge huge fights about the green fingers. We've had just hand 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 combat with the with the engineers about the design of the, the green fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the local engineers have they have held steadfastly that the green fingers have to be a single-purpose concrete ditch, and and we've argued that no, they they have to be a multi-purpose space that's both drainage way and mm-hmm. social space, and they should be rockery and permeable. That's pretty profound. Though. That's a pretty profound. And we've been how uh, wide are the fingers? Oh, the um the small one is twenty-four meters, and the big one's fifty so meters. Pretty, so they're they're pretty, are pretty substantial. They're pretty yeah. su- there's 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 enough space for. Social life and the housing, and, the housing and back and backs onto them. Yeah, backs are four fronts. stories of four yeah. twenty, <laughs> right? So I mean, there's enough space, and and we've had this horrible argument, and and um, and the the and the engineers have really dug in, and they've said that if and they they you know the, the green fingers, the the drainage way has gotten fatter and bigger than we really want. I think they're like eight meters wide currently, which is you know pretty wide. Space and 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 the engineers have because they're not collecting the roof water; they're just collecting 
Well, we, we are. The, our or is si- it a, a, no, our a drainage st- channel that's coming through the site? Our, our site is at the low end of the, um, the watershed. Mm-hmm. And so we do have water coming from mm-hmm. off-site, plus we have all the water that will be generated from our site. And because it's an urbanizing area, there will be an increase in impervious paving and right. increase in runoff and so Things well and from off-site yeah. as well so right. i mean it's, it's it's a serious proposition right. but uh, most recently there was an argument that to do rockeries would increase the the rock channel from eight meters to 16 meters <laughs> which is just ridiculous <laughs> and so i mean it's just we we have these uh, bi-weekly teleconference calls and they're just excruciating you know mm-hmm. arguing about the green fingers <laughs> it's just so fundamental and right. and um so is this the kind of project that you can still have fun on? Well, except for the excruciating meetings <laughs> arguing about green fingers, but no, it's it's an interesting project. What are the fun pieces that you get to add or that make it? Uh, well, just curious. just the fact that it, it is what it is and, and, and thinking about designing basically a town and understanding the interesting architectural ideas that the, the different architectural blocks that are designed by different architects in terms of dealing with the climate of shade and porosity mm-hmm. and, and, and air movement. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting project because it, it's a project that really is about ideas. Mm-hmm. And how all these ideas fit together is, is you know, it's a pretty cool thing. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of our conversation, you, you give us the impression that you're a young and inexperienced office. And you're not at all inexperienced. You have a, a, a terribly long history of, of experience in the practice, starting with, with Peter Walker and then your collaboration with Martha Schwartz. Um, but you're still, after 15 years of having yeah, your own workshop, yeah. you're still considering yourself a young office. Is there a real viability for young offices? Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I made it 15 years, so I think I'm probably going to survive. But, uh, but I, 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 don't, I don't operate like a corporate office. Mm-hmm. I mean, to this day, I don't really have sufficient overhead and administrative structure and 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 the office is, is really a dump you know it's a, it's, it's really a it's really a workshop it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it was an old um, printing sweatshop one thing i did was raise the fluorescent lights up you know <laughs> so we could clear our heads when we walked underneath them but i mean it's it's not very fancy and it's it's very unpretentious you know we kind of take the projects we want and i kind of see it as not it's not the corporate right. model and so right. And do you think that the profession, that there are openings in the profession for young, small offices to actually make it? Or do you think, in fact, it's really hard in the North American? No, um, no, I, I think um, there aren't that many competitions. Uh, and when they are, they're open to big populations of architects. Yeah, so. but I, you know, I, I started doing ideas competitions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I built the office from nothing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I opened the office in 1992. I had been practicing in California in Peter Walker and Martha Schwartz's mm-hmm. office, and I moved to New York, and I didn't have any work, and I didn't really have any social or cultural connections mm-hmm. with the design community, and I opened up an office, you mm-hmm. know, with a part-time teaching job at City College. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the first five years were, you know, tough. I didn't make any money, you mm-hmm. know. You know, I basically supported it with the teaching income, and at some point for tax purposes, you, you, you have to show a profit or, or the IRS considers you a hobby business. And so <laughs> at, at some point, I was showing a profit on the books, even though I wasn't making a profit. Right. And I was paying taxes on, 
you know, profit I never really made right. <laughs> just because I had to show it as a viable business. Mm -hmm. but, but there was a point, I, I guess, you know, around year eight or nine. I mean, it, it, you know, it grew slowly, you know, and, and it, it started with things like the glowing topiary gardens, which was on the face of it, not a very fabulous project, mm -hmm. but was a, it was a great project mm -hmm. or the Malcolm X Plaza, you know, basically mm -hmm. I, I took small projects that weren't very promising and made them into something that was interesting. Reputation grew and then you get better projects. Mm -hmm. and, so, I mean, I think that's how it probably works for everyone. I can't imagine you just kind of launch into completeness. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's possible. <laughs> and so, as a small office trying to set out uh, the framework of a critical practice, clearly you had mentioned this earlier um, in our discussion beforehand, or actually in your, your uh, presentation, that small practice really needs to search out a typology of work. Mm -hmm. and needs to clarify the methodologies they use to, to, to make their work. And then, sort of hopefully with uh, the good combination and some luck, you right. are get, able to get, get some something work. built. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But part of it is finding out people who you want to work with. And, mm -hmm. and actually, teaching was good because I, I met young architects who were also opening their offices at the same time. And so there were collaborations that came out of that which mm -hmm. were which were good. And, and for me, the critical distinction was that um, I was doing uh, urban landscape. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so, I mean, I was really focused on the issues of densely built urban areas like New York City. Mm -hmm. And in, in, the, in, the, in the teaching, I was using teaching as a kind of research for interstitial spaces, leftover spaces, the kind of really problematic things that, you know, are difficult as hell mm -hmm. to figure out what to do with because they're so torn apart or so scattered or broken up. And, and then the other, the other thing was that uh, the, the working method has probably evolved a bit, but the, in the early days, the, the working method was very opportunistic. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was strategically a bottom-up approach. I, I, and this, was bar, this is really barred from the art world. It was not a top-down, rational you know, it wasn't based on the way EDAW would do it, you know, understanding the problem and mapping out. And, you know, it wasn't deductive in that way mm -hmm. at all. It was a completely inductive process of, of taking what was at hand and kind of imagining what you could do out of that circumstance. And, and so there was there's a kind of a basic vocabulary that was developed over the years of dealing with things very opportunistically that now are used on larger projects that are more deductive because mm -hmm. you know at a certain scale of project you can't you can't op you can't operate inductively <laughs> all the time right. and so at a certain point you know on, on a deductive project you do figure out kind of strategic things but that vocabulary and approach that was developed in those early years is very useful in terms of then how individual problems are, are solved mm -hmm. you're originally from Iowa yeah and you grew up on a farm yeah you had the opportunity to take over the farm, but chose to go to university. Well, no, I didn't really have an opportunity to take over the farm. When my, my parents decided, they, probably when I was you know, a month old, <laughs> that I was going to go to college. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was no choice. You Did know, you I'm, ever think about farming growing up? No, I didn't or really. about being a farmer? Uh, well. Your father was a farmer. My father was a farmer. But, you know, it was immensely difficult for my parents economically. My father had 
a job in town and my mother had to work because the farm wasn't economically viable. What kind of a farm was it? Uh, it was a small family farm of corn and soybeans and a couple mm-hmm. cows. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a very difficult time for the American farm. And, yeah. and, and, and basically, uh, it was very clear that there was no future on the farm, you know, that we were going to be leaving, going elsewhere. And, and you know, farm work is also, it's, it's really hard work. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I raised cows and, you know, raised the garden. And that was all nice. But, but in the end, it was not my future. And mm-hmm. so... Do you think back about those landscapes, and can you imagine that they have influenced the way you think about the landscape as you conceptualize it? Yeah, well, there's a certain geometry that comes from the farm. I mean, I, I really love things in rows. I mean, just that's very innate for me, and, and there's a certain way that geometry goes over land form that I understand from the farm. But there's also... Uh, the way that an, uh, an old field, an abandoned field, goes through a kind of primary succession that I understand kind of innately because, you know, I've seen that happen. Right. Yeah, those those things you do, you do take with you. Right. You did your studies at Iowa State mm-hmm. in landscape architecture, mm-hmm. and then after after university, I you... worked for five years at the Iowa Conservation Commission mm-hmm. doing uh, state park and recreation mm-hmm. planning. And then went to Massachusetts. Then I went to Harvard, yeah. And you worked for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in Part-time. Harvard. Part-time. Part-time when I was in school. That was right. my, my job. Because I basically, I, I paid my way through mm-hmm. school. I, I, was, I was the first person in my family that ever went to graduate school. Yeah. You know, nobody had, you know, had ever even talked about graduate school. And for mm-hmm. some reason, I decided I was going to go to graduate school. And... And, and I was working, and I figured, well, I'm an adult. This is my choice. And so <laughs> I never even asked my parents for money. I just assumed that it was my, you know, my right. deal. And so I paid off my school loans from my undergraduate school, and I lived in basement apartments and saved money and, and uh, had you know, part-time work when I was in school and was frugal and uh-huh. just <laughs> paid my way through. Wow. So it's kind of stupid. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. But it worked, yeah. yeah. I, I made it through. But from the outside... Um, when I look at the work that I have seen of yours published, um, I don't see the work of a landscape architect practicing through an environmental um, agency. I see the work of an artist. When and at what point in your studies or in your uh, um, thinking about the landscape did you become interested and passionate about the world of art? Oh, I, I wanted to be an artist since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's what I wanted to be, and, and I, I loved architecture. And uh, when I went went to undergraduate school, I I discovered landscape architecture. I never I didn't know anything about. It. I had never heard of it, but mm-hmm. uh, I discovered it as an undergraduate, and so that was my major. And uh, maybe a marriage of farming and art. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was, it was between architecture and art, and and of course that was the the time of the uh, the environmental movement, uh, the first environmental movement of the of the early seventies, mm-hmm. late you know late sixties, and so. When I started practicing on my own, the, the little projects in the urban areas were really much more about social space. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, the, those projects, and I actually have a pretty good understanding of social space and sort of understanding of Holly White's research and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And, but as the projects have gotten larger, the, the environmental issues have become a stronger part of it. In Santa Fe, the issues of 
water or, or certainly the Great Park, you know, that has larger mm-hmm. environmental issues or the project in India and the drainage ways. So mm-hmm. th- that's really, a, a, I think, a function of scale. And do they help push some of these these other ideas that might be more based in the in the art of the landscape? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, probably. I mean, a, a certain kind of uh, approach to understanding of grading and things that I've developed over time that now come before and doing these larger things like the, the grading of a canyon and mm-hmm. sort of you know the, the the cuts and the slopes and then how the how the things are constructed you know, kind of there's sort of kind of spatial things that uh, I guess I've in, in, internalized over time that you know now are operating at a, at a larger scale but mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was a conscious strategy that I'm going to do this and then that it, mm-hmm. it's sort of the, the, I guess it's still kind of opportunistic <laughs> in the end, you know. But but I'm working on a bigger scale. Well, let's jump to the really small scale. Yeah. Um, you're working on a pro bono project. It's a public garden in Queens. It's in Brooklyn. In in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, Bushwick. I'm, in Bushwick. I'm thinking about the, the PS19. The, play, the playground, yeah, playground, playground is in Queens. Queens yeah. Which was a you that was pro bono a, also, <laughs> and a catalyst to this yes. this project in uh, in Brooklyn. Yeah. You just showed some photos of some of the, the the vine structures that are going up. How has that project evolved, and uh, are you having fun working it, at this oh, it, much, much, much I lo- smaller scale? I love the small scale. It's point one three acres. It's a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> I've always, even when I was doing smaller things, I always liked having a range of scales to work on. I mean, the scales are more dramatic now. There are things you can do at the little scale that you can't do at the big scale, and, and vice versa. And so mm-hmm. I, the, the little scale project is also the craft of how you make something at little scale is really important. Mm-hmm. And, um, and on that project, the, the, I, I first did three alternate, I kind of knocked out three fast alternative approaches so we could have an initial uh, meeting with the, uh, uh, the neighbors who garden there. The client liked one a lot. The neighbors liked a, a different one, and then there were kind of aspects of, of, of the three that I liked, but in the end, the, the, the parts that I liked when I started developing it based on the scheme that the neighbors liked, it, it didn't work. And so I, I threw all three of those away, mm-hmm. and, and I came up with a, a new approach uh, within the matter of like two days mm-hmm. after, after kind of you know thinking about it for like six months. <laughs> uh, uh, of, of these uh, the vine screens and uh, and we very quickly built uh, a model and showed it to the client and they loved it and, and they had a donor who thought it was great and then we met with the neighbors and they liked it and so wow. and then we uh, even though it's pro bono and it's tiny it's we treat it like a real project I mean there, it's, there's a, a, a project manager on the project uh, We've done complete construction documents, mm-hmm. completely detailed with specifications and the whole thing. Guy Nordenson is the engineer, pro bono on the project, and Langen is the pro bono civil engineer. You know, it's like it's like a really high-powered team <laughs> for this for this little tiny thing. This pocket park. This yeah. little pocket park, and um, but but seeing it being built now, uh, you can tell. I mean, the quality of the structures, the engineering, the structures mm-hmm. is really quite fabulous although it's it's off the shelf you know fencing mm-hmm. stuff but uh, the the uh, the geometries were complicated because of the torquing and the twisting mm-hmm. and and, uh, and it helped having a really good engineer mm-hmm. uh, work through it with me mm-hmm. and it's all been fabricated off-site the fabricator made a template 
a metal template that came and sat on the site and and then that template informed where the uh, the threaded rods went for yeah, the right. footings and so yeah. it, it's all been set up according to this template and now the pieces have come and they, they fit. sit and they fit together oh, that's good <laughs> and it, it's kind of amazing we did it we did a mock-up of two units first and, mm -hmm. and, it, and it and it went well there was a little bit of adjustment but there was adjustment of the system to make it work and, right. and now it's you know moving along and in the end it's a vegetable garden with some fruit trees it's a vegetable a, garden a with fruit trees space for and uh, and a lot of herbs there a there's herbs. a there's a, a huge amount of um, flagstone that's made out of recycled concrete mm -hmm. and all the joints are planted with herbs so mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know mint and thyme and oregano mm -hmm. and all that stuff so other than the other than the vines and the screen, everything is edible. And then there's also some cables overhead, which will have uh, uh, grapes. Mm -hmm. Wow. And will you plant this, this fall? Parts of it will get planted this fall. I don't know if it'll all, I mean, we're, we're going into October. In New York, we can, we can probably plant actually into early or mid-December. So in all likelihood, it will mostly all get planted uh, this fall. The, the, the grand opening is scheduled for spring so there's enough time so that the, uh, the the neighbors can actually get some vegetables planted and mm -hmm. you know kind of get it going mm -hmm. and and we're, we're we're keeping some of the uh, the old chairs they, they had these ratty <laughs> chairs that they kind of found on the street I mean because it, you know a community garden is traditionally not a design thing I mean right. it's a, this is overly designed thing and traditionally it's it's as you can you know you you get a board you find on the street and you get another one and you make a frame and you know you, you know it's all done really on the cheap and and so uh, there there were there was this really motley collection of found chairs mm -hmm. that were in the garden and and, and I thought that uh, we really should keep them because you, you don't really want to lose the um, uh, the memory of what the place right. once was. And the way those are theirs. Yes. The, 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 the neighbors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you had good feedback? Have they been part of the, have they been watching the construction? Well, I, I, yeah, well, everybody's overview? been watching it because, I mean, it's it's so big. I mean, it's like, it's not like anything else in the neighborhood. You, you walk down the street and you go, oh my God, what the hell is that? Uh, so they, you can't miss it. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of speculation, not from our group of neighbors, but other neighbors, some there was speculation that the city was building a swimming pool there, <laughs> and and I, I think I think our neighbors kind of look at. It. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I I think they'll be happy to get their fruit trees and their garden plots, right. and I, you know, I, I think the rest of it is probably just some weird stuff that that I, I suspect they'll grow in, sort of grow into and and oh, cherish. I think I think so. I mean, it, right now in the, in the in the beginning, it's actually quite. I mean, it's, it's it's a lovely structure because it's quite transparent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it, formally it's it's a beautiful thing, mm -hmm. and it's it's not heavy-handed. You you see through it, but uh, over time, when it gets completely covered with vines, it's going to be an incredibly different space. Yeah. I mean, it really will be a contained place, and it'll be really green, right. and there'll be these folds and spaces, and uh, uh, it you know it will be a, right. a, a, a you know beautiful place. There's a place that. for picnicking, and there's a there's a little nook where the, the cabinet goes for the tools, and there's a rain barrel so we can collect water from the roof next mm -hmm. door. And there's uh, some benches and a bird bath, and, uh, and there's some 
wooden poles that have vines on them mm -hmm. and so and then there's some other little seats that are built in here and there mm -hmm. so i mean there's all, all the stuff that you really want to have the right. barbecue and, and the old chairs and <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we look forward to seeing, <laughs> seeing this talk to us a little bit about the relationship between the music of john cage and cloud photographs well, you know i didn't have a, a proper cultural education it's like growing up in the farm you know, I didn't really study art, you know, I, and so when I was in college, I, uh, I'm kind of, kind of self-taught in many ways. I, I, I would go to the, uh, the library, and the library is quite generous because you could uh, look up something and you could go up to the stacks and mm -hmm. you could discover all the other similar books, related subjects nearby. And, um, and I was not interested in Old art. I was not interested in the Renaissance and medieval. And so history starts at around the sixties. It starts twentieth century. Yeah. So I, I I was actually working backwards, and and uh, so in art I was interested in Klaus Oldenburg and Rauschenberg, and and when I was reading about Rauschenberg, I you know was learning about Merce Cunningham and John Cage, and and then I was checking out music from the library, and I was listening to John Cage and. Yeah, I was listening to John Cage and Stravinsky before I ever listened to Mozart, <laughs> uh, which is kind of <laughs> kind of backwards. But um, I always said I was I was lucky because I grew up on the farm and I was because I didn't have a proper cultural education. I was never hobbled with good taste. <laughs> and so you have smaller pieces of luggage. <laughs> yes, smaller pieces of luggage. So, but I I I, I was really attracted to. Um, the ideas of serialism and, and the ideas of um, John Cage. And, and, I, and I've thought about them for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, did a, I did a project at Cornerstones mm -hmm. in California, uh, a piece with the artificial flowers, where I, I first tested out this idea of uh, indeterminacy with uh, the placement of plants. Uh, in this case, it was on a wall. And uh, there was a a 12-inch grid and, and this uh, notion of, uh, of of the module, which appealed to me because it's a kind of modernist organizing mm -hmm. thing, the raster. But uh, working against that, each module had a, a choice of positions, of center, uh, one of four corners, or one of four sides, so mm -hmm. nine positions. And so we had a bowl of, uh, of numbers, one through nine, and mm -hmm. then we had a bowl of, uh, of uh, cards that uh, had... Uh, said tulip or hyacinth or you know mm -hmm. uh, boxwood or, and then we had these artificial plants and so we did did this wall at cornerstones uh working through this methodology so it's it's part john cage but it's also kind of solid wit of, of a kind of uh, prescriptive formula to execute something that is uh, different each time you execute it and i was interested in this because the the problem with you know the the geometric landscape is pretty clear uh, maybe it's an overstatement. There's still a lot of things you can do with <laughs> ge geometry, but but there are certain you know, understandable rules. And then in the what I would call the informal landscape of kind of you know in a derogatory way, you know, imitating nature kind mm -hmm. of thing, is very problematic because how do you figure out the order for that stuff? And mm -hmm. so this idea of using the indeterminate indeterminate process was appealing to me because it set up a methodology which removed personal choice mm -hmm. from uh, the execution. And, and in fact, these pieces, and, I, and I've, I've done, 
I've, I did one at Cornerstones. I, I, I did another one at Ohio State University, and I did one at mm. Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum. And um, and it's interesting that the, the kind of uh, mosaic that it, it produces that kind of hovers between uh, uh, inorganic and, and, uh, and geometry, or organic and, and mm -hmm. geometry. And so uh, the idea in the Great Park was to now take it to another level and actually use it for larger scale uh, organizational space uh, in, the, in the Bosque to actually organize a grove of trees or in the parking lots to organize the uh, open spaces where the trees come out of the parking stalls. So we're, we're working through that uh, mm -hmm. process now. Well, that sounds super, super interesting. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fun <laughs> and fun. Yeah. Um, I'll wrap up with this last question. You've just attended the Biennale of Landscape here in Barcelona, and you've had a chance to see the eleven final projects and actually meet um, their many of their mm -hmm. authors. What are your thoughts relative to the selections, and what if we could use those selections as a cross section of the atmosphere of landscape architecture or public space making in Europe. What are your thoughts about what's happening? Well, they were they were interesting. The presentations were interesting, and the projects were interesting. The the, the presentations were very much couched in a poetics of the author, which I don't find so much in the United States. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think well, in spite of your own personal poetry. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't wear that on my sleeve. <laughs> I, I think Georges Decombe said that the uh, the Americans are uh, much more forthright and uh, practical in in the presentation of the ideas, and mm -hmm. and, and I think the Europeans were more poetic in terms mm -hmm. of how they presented the ideas, which which I found very interesting and and, and actually uh, compelling, and and the projects. Uh, there's a crispness to, I think, all the work, mm -hmm. uh, which is, is, is interesting, and, and kind of a lack of maybe messiness. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is, but, uh, but, but the range of the works, from the schoolyard to a kind of infrastructural wall uh, to a factory, uh, I was kind of blown away by the factory because in the United States, landscape architects I, I don't know anyone who's ever worked on a factory. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, know if we even build factories in the United States. <laughs> and so I thought that was interesting. Uh, and and, and many of the projects worked with issues of water. I, I, the, whole, the, the whole aspect of, of waterfronts uh, was very prevalent in many of the projects, mm -hmm. uh, uh, dealing with uh, uh, creating a, a new stream alongside an existing canal or dealing with the floodplain in the oxbow of a river or creating a, a, a new uh, lake as a swimming lagoon, mm -hmm. or uh, that, that was a very common thing. That, and, mm -hmm. and, and probably it's, it's really just one of the things that landscape architects do, is dealing mm -hmm. with the uh, edges of streams and, mm -hmm. and waterfronts is kind of inherent in, in our work. And I think probably in, in the United States, the work on waterfronts is mm -hmm. also a, a prevailing concern. So, I mean, that's, that's clearly a, a real commonality, mm -hmm. I think, uh, between uh, Europe and the United States. And on the horizon of Ken Smith and his workshop? Uh, well, we have projects under construction. Uh, the Goldman Sachs World Headquarters is under construction. I'm working wow. with uh, Pete Udolph, <laughs> and Pete is fabulous to work with. Uh, Pete was quoted, uh, New York Times reporter asked Pete uh, his definition of a well-composed garden. <laughs> and Pete 
replied that um, a well-composed garden is a garden that decomposes well. Ah. I thought that was just the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. I mean, just really beautiful and succinct. And uh, he's been really a lot of fun to, to work with. I mean, uh, it's been a very, very good mm -hmm. collaboration. And the East River waterfront is, uh, parts of that are in construction documents, so that's moving forward. We're doing some weird things. I'm designing a, a dog run. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm designing a, 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 an enclosure fence made out of dog chains, <laughs> which is kind of kind of wacky. And <laughs> the dogs will get it. But the dogs will get it. Yeah, well, actually, I, I'm not sure. The do, the, I mean, the, the whole or idea, the the whole idea of taking the instrument of dog control and then using it to control them. I, I don't know if they'll actually, you know, they, they, they may get it. They, 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 they may like get it. it, but they may not like it. Yes. <laughs> so, wow. Well, we look forward to seeing more of your work, and uh, I could sort of continue peppering you with questions, but uh, I know your time is valuable. Um, thank you so much for joining us on Terrograms, and best of luck in, in your new horizons. Good. Thank you. Ken Smith is a registered landscape architect and the founder of Ken Smith Workshop. Thank you for joining us for the 21st Dispatch of Terrograms. Join us soon for conversations with Alexander Reeford, founder and director of the Reeford Gardens and Metis International Garden Festival, as well as a conversation with Berlin-based landscape architect Gabriella Kiefer, finalist for the 5th Biennale of Landscape. To find out more about Terrograms and sign up for our next deliveries, please visit our website at www.terrograms.com or subscribe to us using iTunes. Special thanks to the books for the wonderful and very cool music. You can expose yourself more to the books at www.thebooksmusic.com. This concludes our 21st delivery of Terrograms. I was trying to get unemployment and I was told first kicks in after a few weeks and I was busy looking for another job and I also have a heart condition and I told him I have a heart condition. I said, here, take a few dollars. I'm sorry this just happened to you, just, but just leave me alone. I'm not the person who, who deposited us. Uh, myself, April, Tammy, and Brad.